Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Quarantine Break podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 10. I hope you're keeping well out there. My guest today is BAFTA-winning actor Jason Watkins. I mean, that's the thing in life, isn't it? You know, you can lean on your cynicism and find humour there, and then other times you've just got to park it because you've just got to get on. You've got to find a way of being positive without being achingly sort of bland. Before we get started, towards the end of this episode, there's a discussion about bereavement and grief. It's a challenging conversation, but one I think is really important to have. If that's something that's not going to help you at this time, I'll include the time code for that section in the episode description in case you'd like to pause the show and come back to it at a later date. I hope you're still with me because this is such a lovely conversation. We talk about what life has been like in lockdown, what Jason's been watching and doing, and, of course, we delve into the wonderful, incredible W1A Zoom meeting that took the internet by storm. Take a listen, and I'll be back at the end. Hello, Jason. How have you been keeping? Uh, Very well, thank you, yes. Um, Yeah, exceptionally well, actually, considering circumstances, I think. Yes, I'm uh, getting through the day, and, uh, yeah, pretty good, actually. Yeah, it's a fascinating and interesting time. Uh, for all of us. Pretty much feel, feel the same way. I mean, I'm not too bad, but I now spend my days working in my flat, being screamed at by a ginger cat who licks his own bits while maintaining eye contact. But I have had worse bosses. Oh, right. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just, well, we've got a dog who runs the show, really. Uh, I think what's, what happens perhaps when you're at home for such a concentrated period of time, that the pecking order becomes very clear because it's presented <laughs> to you every day. And clearly I am below the dog i mean that the kids shout at me and even the dog looks at me as like what are you doing here this is my house <laughs> i kind of yeah, certain things are slightly compounded um i know my place is the dog quite over you being at home now is it he just wants you to get back to work as well yeah i mean i've been away uh, i've been to a local studio doing uh starting recording an audio book and uh, he seems a lot perkier when I come home. Not because he's <laughs> because I've been absent. Now, I must say at the outset, as part of my comfort TV, I've been re-watching Line of Duty, which you, of course, starred in in Series 4. So I'm pretty sure I've got this interrogation thing down. So I'm going to start with a tough question first. And actually, before I start, I should have added a long, monotonous beep here. Although long, monotonous beep is also how my interview technique has been described in some quarters. I'm not going to judge you. (laughs) Jason, 
how do you take your tea? Uh, I've, got, I've got it in my hand now, and uh, I have it quite strong. Yeah, quite strong, actually. Not too much milk, mm. no sugar. Uh, and a nice, as I get older, I like a nice mug or a nice, a nice <laughs> tea. Nice sort of little uh, teacup. Yeah, I say all the all the kind of accoutrements of tea have become more important uh, to me. I love the ceremony of tea making, particularly at the weekends. I've got specific bags that I have for weekend. That's my weekend tea treat. Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got builders tea, which I think is our go to, and then we've got looking up now. We've got all the sort of fancy ones: a lemon and ginger, of course, and vanilla. Surprisingly, vanilla chai. I'm rather enjoying that. Um, so yeah, we kind of dance around the, uh, the, the tea cupboards as it were, uh, <laughs> chamomile is something, I know this is fast, clearly fascinating for your listeners, <laughs> but uh, chamomile is pretty damn good at late at night when you need to get to sleep. I work mm. with me that, uh, I rather like, particularly if I'm working as well, you know, I'll take that with me and have it so that if I need to get to sleep and then, you know, getting up early in the morning, then, then that's quite good. I like to think the listeners tune in for the tea chat. That's why they're here. That's why they want to hear. They want to hear who's having their tea and in what way. Yeah, I think that's a, a vital part of getting through this period. <laughs> and uh, frankly, much more interesting than some parts of my career. <laughs> so now we know how you take your tea. This is the podcast that takes a tea break from the world. It's a world where more than ever, every man's home is their castle. Unless you've driven 30 minutes to get there, then that's not your castle and you can't see it anyway. I mean, that's that's. I think that's the second or third time I've done a variation of the castle not being able to see. I, I need a new bit. No, I enjoy it. Now I think we were doing... Uh, <laughs> I think we did a little bit of tweeting, me and some friends. We, I mean, and then we were riffing around Bernard Castle, Bernard, Bernard <laughs> Castle, perhaps the sort of... Um, was a TV presenter in the 70s, <laughs> Bernard Castle. Uh, you know, like somebody presented something like, you know, uh, uh, super teams or was it super superstars or something like that, or it's a knockout. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> where do we start on all that? Where do we start? Well, I think it's impossible to start. So let me simply say, Jason, how has lockdown been for you? It's been a real uh, roller coaster, actually. I mean, I, I would... Um, I was working in South Africa at the end of, uh, just before it started, just before lockdown. And I mm. finished uh, my filming there on Around the World in 80 Days, which is this big <laughs> new sort of European co-production between many of the large European uh, networks, BBC, RTE. And yeah. So it was a kind of big pan-European <laughs> operation. And you see where this is heading. And just to try and rival really Netflix and Amazon and getting a kind of big budget up front on screen. And David Tennant and Phileas yeah. Fogg rather brilliantly, as always. So we, we finished filming that. And while in the two days preceding me leaving, South Africa basically said, get out of the country, we're putting the shutters down. Wow. So, uh, which uh, we, we, you know, we scrambled out, we got, got back. And then I got some weird, I picked up some weird things. So the first, I was in bed for like, five or six days wow. as the lockdown started and I had some sort of no, uh, allergic reaction to I've been bitten or something anyway. But um, I think there was this funny week of sort of coasting where my wife, who's an actress and uh, a dress designer, was uh, performing in the West End and she was saying to me, why is... Um, why are we going into the West End and meeting all these people, you know, people watching us? and Why aren't we at home? And, and obviously a lot of the world has started to sort of uh, lockdown and we were still going then I was ill so when I came out I was literally in a room it wasn't coronavirus uh, after you know a few days I sort of surfaced into this new this new world yeah 
and uh, you know we're all aware it was a mixture of getting through oneself and getting one's family through and working out ways of keeping everybody happy against the backdrop of this sort of terrible uh, uh, loss of life. So it's been a, an extraordinary, extraordinary time. And, you know, that continues. Uh, you know, other things have grown in. This char my charity work has sort of come on a pace in terms of, you know, there's lots you can do to help in that respect. And um, So, yeah, and, and keeping contact with your friends, I suppose, is really important. Definitely. On previous podcasts, we talked about some of the biggest challenges in lockdown. Your parents, so I assume three months into this new world, has that been your biggest yeah, challenge? Yeah, I mean, definitely for me. I mean, it really has. I spend a lot of time away, so it's a, it's a joy to be at home. <clears throat> but um, teaching your eight-year-old, he's in front of a computer screen, but he's doing his maths. <laughs> oh, this is a rare thing. I, uh, I mean, if I tell you, I mean, I once did a session with some children who'd been uh, permanently excluded from mainstream education. Uh, did a in a drama mm. workshop thing and I, and I went with all sorts of ideas to try and help them get into do a bit of improvising and talk a bit about their lives and trying to and it was very very difficult they, they were very challenged yeah. these kids that had a really hard time difficult backgrounds and really I realized halfway through actually actually even within about two minutes that all those plans really were going to have to be put on hold because I was going to have to try and get a little bit of gold amongst the kind of chaos and I think um, we did in the end, actually. There were, you know, one or two moments where you thought, "Gosh, this this, this kid's got got something," and perhaps this, an avenue in the theatre or in television could be something that could mm. help them express all the feelings that they they had. And so it's felt a little bit like that with Gilbert, you know, my son, who's eight, he just <laughs> wants to run around and go mental. So they're trying to sit down and teach the sort of what formal education is, where via, via the uh, uh, Google Classroom has been challenging and I've yeah. had to be, keep my cool and my patience and you know it's all mixed in one's, with one's own childhood you know I was I'm just like him I just you know I can't turn around and say listen you've got why aren't you concentrating why do you keep sort of looking away why are you I was exactly the same so I think perhaps that's an interesting thing about parenting your own children is that you're actually cyclically kind of touching base with your own education and the, the times when you were uh, you know occasionally doing your homework with your parents but also one's relationship with school you know so that that that's been that that's been really interesting but but I have to say it has been a, a joy particularly to be at home and, and, and have time with them. Have you dipped into anything like virtual lessons or have you done things like Joe Wicks? We've just done Joe Wicks this morning actually and oh, that, really? yeah and we've done um we do Google Classroom to get all the timetable comes through from the school and we do bits and bobs and horrible histories and stuff you know I mean Things to try and get rid of this potpourri of influences. Yeah. What I've learned is that I think you would do the same thing every day, the routine of it. Although I think some educationists might say their routine is important. It is to a degree. I just think they need variety in colour and all that sort of thing. Definitely. I mean, I think I started... Oh, at the start of this, I thought, I'm, I'm going to do Joe Wicks every every day. Today, I've done it once. Yeah. Why? why what's wrong with Joe? I mean, what's he... I think he's too chipper. I, I, I'm not sure I necessarily trust someone who's that happy at 9am. Yeah, uh, the, yeah the, oh, yeah, I think, what's, yeah, this maybe this is what lockdown's <laughs> doing to you, you know. I mean, he's, I, I mean, I, I, this morning I thought, God, he has got so much energy, hasn't he? And he's, yeah. But he just gets on with it, he's so direct, and he just carries, 
carries everyone with him. Uh, uh, so I, I mean, it's, it's commendable. It's amazing, really, what he's what he's done. And he's you know he's uh, he has galvanised uh, many a, a, a young uh, a young kid over over the period. But yeah, no cynicism. That's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, where you could afford occasionally to be rather sort of reflective and cynical and let's say you know sort of satirical and funny and I mean that's the thing in life isn't it you know you can lean on your cynicism and find humor there and then other times you've just got to park it because you just got to get on you've got to find a way of being positive without being achingly sort of bland is uh <laughs> you know, okay you know you, you work sometimes and you say, okay let's come on let's uh yeah wow let's uh, let's just be funny you know and you, you just think, okay, it, it doesn't work like that. You know, it, it, for me, you know, yeah, a lot of people, it's not about if, if you're doing a comedy about, it is a bit about energy and it is about attitude and all those things, but it's also about a little bit of cynicism and a bit of sort of, you know, pain. It's, it's never straightforward. So um, it's funny that life and work is is a kind of balance between those things. And, you know, we, I'm sure you, we can all go towards the sort of uh, the cynic and find humour there, but... When you've got relentless days stretching ahead, you've got to find a way, I think, of finding a different sort of positivity, I suppose, while being yourself. I don't know what this says about me, but I genuinely think if Joe Wicks was meaner, I would respond to that. But I don't know what that says about my psychology or my makeup or what lockdown has done to me. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure, Simon. I mean, I'm just trying to see you as Joe Wicks there. I mean, Simon, you know, bouncing around in front of a fireplace. Have you got a fireplace? I don't. I don't. I wish I did, though. That's that's my uh, that's my dream. I genuinely think you comparing me to Joe Wicks there is is probably worthy of of the BAFTA that you won a few years ago. Uh, what in terms of my acting and 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 saying something that clearly isn't true in terms Absolutely. of pretending to have an attitude about you looking like Joe Wicks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm looking at it now. It's uh, obviously it's in pride of place, and it's actually tucked away. Towards the top now. Uh, I got it out for uh, the um, W1A Zoom meeting that we did. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I sort of had it in the corner like Simon Harwood, my character, would always have (laughs) it on display if he had one. I'll be emerging from lockdown with my voice permanently set like this. Essentially, I now sound like a hospital radio DJ going through some stuff. Have you acquired any new lockdown skills? Well... I've played a bit of the guitar, not enough. It's been a bit perfunctory, mm. if I'm honest. I was trying to sort of, you know, do more guitar with my son. He's, you know, he, it's tantrum time as soon as you you even think of Even if you start humming a note, he'll start kicking off. So, but I think, because I used to play a bit when I was younger, and, and I, so I've started that a bit, and I try and find a moment just to play it, but it's never never quite enough. I'm cycling like a madman. Mm. That's the thing that I've really got into road cycling about three or four years ago and I do these sort of virtual I'm aware there's a bore factor here and I've got to be got to be got to be careful but I Zwift is this thing that you can cycle in a virtual world where you're properly cycling yeah yeah. and you can have races I had a race you know a race last night and so against other people in their little shed cycling in New Zealand or you know uh, California or whatever I mean so it's sort of it's it's a good thing to do and it's got me really fit and I you know I I put on a lot of weight for Harold Wilson or I kind of like I deliberately did I just it just happened you went full Christian Bale I did go the Christian Bale on it but you know and uh puffed up and uh 
as, as you get older, you kind of takes a lot. It's more difficult to take it off than it is to put it on. So, so that's been really good. So I've really enjoyed that, and I'm gonna, you know, continue. You know, I might even buy another bag and do stuff like that, and uh, and uh, be more sociable with it and join a club. So that's that. That's been that's been really good. Um, I've tried to read, although I'm, I'm now reading an audio book. But you know, I don't, I don't read. I don't read enough fiction. Yeah. And I, in fact, I was asked to, you know, I've been asked a couple of times to go on, you know, a, a good read and stuff. And I, I, I've, I've always had reading issues. Uh, um, you know, I'm dyslexic and I mean, reading the audio book at the moment has been, you know, they're very patient and I've told them that it's going to be <laughs> a struggle. But uh, it's, it's kind of, um, it is working. Uh, I, you know, I've just, I read Barnaby Rudge, the Dickens uh, amazing novel for Audible, um, last year and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done but it, it, it really is it's an amazing novel and you know 200 different voices wow. and, you know Bill, yeah and it, it was it was a, it was a struggle to do but it was incredibly rewarding so I've come into this book and uh you know warning everyone that it's going to take a while but uh, again it's it is it is a it's a great thing to do, uh, but yeah. But in terms of me reading novels and you know stuff, it's it's difficult, you know. And, and reading stuff when you're working, yeah. you know, you're reading a lot of scripts. So you tend my reading of scripts has dominated my uh, reading brain. So I've tried to dip into sort of things that I, you know, I, I, I've want, wanted to read. You know, I'm reading a bit of uh, Agatha Christie at the moment, weirdly, with a possible project coming up, possibly. But uh, and, and you know things like that, you know. Uh, it's yeah, easier yeah. reads, frankly. Easier reads. We'll obviously come on to the wonderful W1A digital short later in the show. But how have you found the pivot? And that's a very W1A phrase already. The pivot to doing everything on video chat. Um. Well, <laughs> pivot. I like it. <laughs> well, that's interesting because there is a certain amount of tumbleweed, isn't there? I mean, I've done a few. I mean, I did. Uh, I did you know, we've done some stuff for you know. Uh, Good Morning Britain and, uh, you know, BBC Breakfast and uh, a, a couple of other, other ones like that. And it is difficult. You can't necessarily just have cut in and time things and, you know, come in on cue, you know, all those little things you do instinctively just to be mildly amusing. You can't quite do this because there's a slight delay. So it's difficult. Yeah. You kind of just talk, get your information out, be amusing and hand it back. That kind of seems to work and you evolve a way of working. And, and I think I did some... I did. Good Morning Britain, and we, you know, it was tricky. We had to, uh, nobody can sort of wave at you. Like <laughs> you're in the studio, you get the feeling that actually you need to stop now because we're running out of time. Yeah. And so um, that we've got a bit of a, you know, sort of hard cut on that program. But that's that's difficult. Having them having me on and talking about my work and stuff and charity work was great. But it's, you know, it, it is, it can be tricky. Um, but I think it's really important, actually. Really important. We're talking to your... Uh, grandparents and relatives and my older sons who live in are in Manchester that you know cooped up in a flat in Manchester you know trying to keep in contact with them and stuff uh is is vital isn't it really it's really important even though it's just a blurred you know image it's just nice just to have yeah. time with them I mean depending on what week you get me on the podcast I'm either very cynical about video chat or a bit over it or I found it quite brilliant and I'm the latter this week i think i'm loving seeing friends regularly that i would have gone months probably with without seeing in the old world and i'm saving a fortune on nights out yeah do you know that's the thing you save so much money don't you that's the weird thing i've been you mm. know looking at my 
looking at my accounts and working, oh yeah, you know, how much have we been spending on going out and eating? How much have we been spending on this and that? And you kind of think we've, you know, we haven't done any of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, all oh, right, actually, yeah, we've got a bit of, I've got a bit of money put aside, you know, it's <laughs> been chipped away at too much. Um, yeah, no, connecting with your friends is really important. I haven't done enough. Uh, you know, you know, I haven't done enough. Like just ringing somebody up randomly, saying hello, because they'll always be, they'll always be up for it. I mean, I am. You know, you can just, you know, just to touch base. I think that, that's the thing because if you're like if you're homeschooling, because we, I, I haven't gone down the route of um, my daughter Bessie. She she has a tutor for her dyslexia and stuff, and that's continued. And but I think some people who are working from home have had to try and get a tutor in and try and do that. I know I there's lots of things I could be doing lots of reading of stuff and you know, I want to do a couple of you know sort of um little radio drama things and I've got something going mm. possibly with a with a, a playwright friend of mine uh but I've kind of thought you know actually no I want to teach my own child I want to be the person who does that so uh that can get you knackered yeah, yeah you know by you know three o'clock then I think, right, I've got, I'm going to go mad. I need to get on my bike. I need to go out, you know, have my exercise. I need to do those things. And then you're sort of, then you're kind of knackered. So it's difficult to find the energy to contact people. And one really should try. Even though we're, we're kind of saving all this money, I do miss nights out. What have you missed in all of this? I think I miss restaurants. I think going out and mm. eating in a restaurant and just being sociable and just sort of people watching. And I mean, extraordinary that we haven't done that and you know being intrigued by other people and their lives and you know mixing and i mean often at the moment it's going out you know and, and you're, you're constantly thinking about social distancing and occasionally you're thinking why isn't that person doing it my god that person just walked straight past me yeah so there's an element of friction which is uh which i'm sure will will abase and will we'll, we'll find its uh find its its pace but uh yeah i've missed uh, yeah i miss going to the cinema you know and the, the theater i miss i miss actually just kind of thing of just going out and following your nose you know you you know not yeah. having any structure just doing something like that or you know going to museums and galleries occasionally when there's a bit of downtime uh those sorts of things you're always slightly thinking about what you're doing now you know and i think that will continue for a while and on the, on the flip side to that is there anything that you haven't missed or a side effect from this new world that you've you have enjoyed Touching on the cynicism again. I mean, sometimes it's nice, you know, when you get older and you've got children, it's quite nice not to go out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, you know, I, uh, uh, it's nice to have time at home and rest and be with your family. So, you know, we've been able to do, um, to do that. And yeah, I mean, having a meal has been good every evening. That's together. Some we've had some spectacular blowouts. Actually, we have a teenager daughter now, and she's wonderful. But you know, she is definitely a teenager, and so we get um, we've had a couple of uh, rather fruity evening meals. <laughs> but it is all—it's been really nice that we've been all all together. And I think start when we started, particularly, and and I, I mean. It's it's been nice to talk about family things and about our family and stories of our youths and the stupid things that we did when we were young or family stories, things, you know, sort of folklore of our families and, and our ancestors, mm. you know, things like that, old uncles and grandfather. And, you know, we've done a little bit of that, which is really, really nice, actually. And it sort of brings you brings you together.
spoken to a number of people on the podcast who work in TV and film, and it has obviously been a really, really tough time for the arts. What's been your experience like as an actor in this period? Well, I mean, you know, it's shut down. You know, I mean, everything is in a hiatus. As I was saying earlier, you know, I was filming in South Africa and we finished working in, in the town hall in Cape Town, which is where, you know, Mandela gave his amazing speech. And uh, we were sort of upstairs there and um you know the producer stepped forward and says you know we're, we're stopping now and you could just look around and see all the faces of all the crew south african crew and you know they were shocked and scared because you know their livelihood was just ending i think the company did pay some money towards you know to keep because it's still ongoing so wages were paid but obviously you know yeah. that was kind of indicative of what's happened that there's been a stop you've been able to access some uh, government money and uh, along the way um, I can't because um, I mean I could get a loan if I wanted but I don't I don't feel the need to do that I'm okay um, and so but I'm thinking more of particularly of theatre actors you know the work has stopped it's very very hard yeah. and they're going to be the, the last to come back in to employment so that has been a big I did a thing called the uh, for the love of arts, which uh, Michelle Collins has set up, mm. where I did a, a speech. You can look at it on on, on YouTube via the act for the Actors Benevolent Fund, where actors can act, access money just to to get, to help them get through. And you know, it's easy to say, you know, here you are Jason, you know, you're you're doing fine, you've got lots of money, and you know, <laughs> people always think you've got that millions of pounds, but you you have. But I'm not <laughs> thinking about them uh, myself. I'm thinking about you know people who are young families, young actors with families that are struggling. So um, uh, and it's hard, you know, they, it, like it is for many, many, many professions. So I'm bound to talk a little bit about my own profession. And, and so yeah, so it, it's hard yeah. in that respect. And uh, worry about how you can, employment is going to continue in terms of television and film. I think that they. I'm supposed to be, I can't say what it is, but I'm supposed to be starting in September. So, you know, we are finding a way of working. And I think what will happen is there will be a needs must point where we need new content. We can't just have reruns of, you know, uh, stuff and uh, prime time reruns. It's, you know, it's not great. Yeah. And nobody wants that. Although it is nice to look back and nod at some really good stuff that has been made in the last few years, and if you've missed stuff that's got a reputation, you know, even like, even like Broadchurch, and you know they're putting on, you know, if you've missed that, particularly, you know, dive into that and or Line of Duty and any of my back catalogue, of course. <laughs> but yeah, new content. So you know, it will happen slowly, but it's going to be really, you know, we'll be doing our own makeup, we'll be putting our own microphones on. Uh, I mean, actors, you know, can just about get the lines out. Imagine them doing something technical <laughs> with a microphone. I mean, and then you know, you'll be able to spot it. This is the thing. In about, six, you know, about a year's time, all this stuff comes out. You just watch this sort of eyebrow halfway up your forehead or it's kind of, you know, lips or, or kind of, you know, I, I may have overpowered because paranoid about the big bald head with masses of cloud on it and shaking my head and some dust flying off it. You know, there'll be, and there's a big microphone sort of coming out the back of my ear. You know, there'll be, um, There'll be all sorts of uh, subtle things like that, but I think the energy is to want to, you know, to start to start work. I mean, I suppose what's interesting as well, Simon, was the other day that you know, I mean, I did a play years ago called One Flea Spare, which by uh, Wendy McLeod, and it was set in a, around the time of the plague in London in uh, the seventeenth century about 
you know, a sailor who'd gone in to nick something from this house and this posh house and they caught him and he's stopped by the elderly couple, wealthy elderly couple that stay there. And while they're there, you know, someone puts this black cross on the door, which means, you know, you've got the plague, you can't go and you can't leave. So they're left in isolation. And it's a really brilliant play, actually. So I hope that when we come out of this, there's one or two dramas or plays. I mean, I'm sure we'll be very glad to leave it behind. But I, I think there will be one or two really some really interesting things where people are put together, you know, and where there's a great contrast of characters and a story and all those sorts of things and stuff about the NHS and, you know, the heroics that are, have been going on and continuing to go on there, that they in some way are focused by the creative community and acknowledged and celebrated and, uh, and reflected um, uh, as we move on in the next couple of years. You know, I hope there's, you know, some playwrights out there and, and, and screenwriters trying to get something together because it's, it's rich, rich ground, although very difficult. Everyone wants the TV and film industry back as soon as possible because TV has brought us so much comfort during this time. What TV have you been watching during the past few weeks? Uh, well, I watched the Michael Jordan uh, basketball thing, The Last yeah. Dance, which I think is amazing. It's an amazing documentary. I mean, we love documentaries and uh, it's, uh, it's brilliantly made and it focuses on quite a fascinating individual. You know, I mean, he's, you know, yeah. he's a complex person perhaps more complex than uh it, it perhaps we would see from the outside but i mean it's just his talent is extraordinary for such a huge man of height and build when you see him on the basketball court you think he's probably about two feet shorter and because he moves <laughs> so quickly it's just it's like he's suddenly like a a rather thin lithe sprinter because he just moves i mean it's it's like a uh, it's a sort of freakish in that respect, but I mean that that in itself is interesting. But the the idea about getting people together as a group and uh, achieving something is is interesting, and what the dynamics are within a group, how collective it is, or how much it's driven by individuals, and the backdrop of sort of you know the sort of money aspects and the, the management of that amazing side, uh, Chicago Bulls. So I found I found that uh, fascinating. Um, we caught up on Killing Eve, which is just exceptional, isn't it? I haven't seen yeah, yeah. Normal People is the one I really want to watch. Oh, it's really, really good. I haven't managed to do that. And, but, you know, I haven't watched, I'm going to disappoint you, Simon, I haven't watched that much. We get this sort of golden hour yeah. at nine o'clock when our older, when our youngest is asleep and then, you know, our daughter's still, you know, rattling around until half past 10, 11 o'clock. It's over. Brain's gone, you know. I just want to go to sleep. You know. <laughs> Have your viewing habits changed at all over over the past few weeks? Because I've been turning to a lot more older telly, I think, rather than new stuff. I think that kind of idea about the things that bring you comfort shows that you know that you like. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? That people have rewatched things that they have enjoyed. Mm. I remember the bridge is I just uh, you know the original version of the bridge. I've actually watched that three times. I, you know, I, I watched it originally and loved it. And then I'd come back from working in Bristol when I was doing, I was doing trolley, you know, and I used to just come back and just stick an episode or two on, on the yeah. way back. And I used to love just, and, you know, revisiting. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> you know, slightly worrying, worrying how little you remember of the <laughs> drama that you watched. You know, you think, hang on, I've seen, I've seen this before. And yet it's still delivering up this uh, amazing, amazing thing. And, 
that that show is just uh, I thought it was extraordinary. Yeah, The Sopranos. I'm thinking about digging back into The Sopranos because that's classic classic modern television. Yeah, I'm always looking for a documentary. I think that that that's that's I'm always out for, for looking at documentary. But I mean, I thing is, I haven't watched that much television because I don't have that time. I think okay, cool, blimey, I can sit down this afternoon and watch four <laughs> episodes of you know The Crown. Uh, or you know, or the wire. Now that's something that we have. I tried it's, again. One of the things where you try, you get into something, then you have to go and work away for six months, and you, you know, and that, that's happened a couple of times with the wire. So that is the one. In fact, last night I was going to try and catch up on that last night. So I'm going to start with that. And recent history, I might watch uh, Chernobyl again, which was just extraordinary, wasn't Do it? You know what? I was chatting to my wife last night about Chernobyl and. Loved it the first time, and I really want to watch it again. But is 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 that the right thing to watch at the moment? Watching something go so terribly yes. wrong. Well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose uh, there's comfort <laughs> in that watching that you know that uh, we're not the only government to completely cocked it up. I mean, I I, uh, I suppose I mean it was slightly unfair, but I mean uh, you know there's there's been a certain amount of mismanagement. I would say is uh, was one way of looking at it, I, if I'm honest. And, uh, you know, maybe it's comfort to see that it's not just us. I mean, I think it's just a brilliant <laughs> drama. Yeah. Brilliant performances, you know, Jared Harris and uh, Stellan's guy and, you know, Emily Watson, you know, they're, they're just uh, incredible. And uh, Paul Ritter is, you know, contemporary of mine and we mm. often go up for stuff, similar work and uh, I'm such a huge fan of his work. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. Well made. We were talking about some of the positives of lockdown. Obviously, the W1A lockdown minisode has been one of the highlights. Can you tell us about how that came about? Well, that started because over the last sort of few years, I mean, I think, I think I'm think i right saying that it started with me and Hugh a bit. It might have people screaming at me now. In my <laughs> but I think we, start, we just started doing a few little silly tweets about things that were happening with BBC uh, in character because we, we got to know them so well. I mean, none of it is improvised. I have to say that the scripted stuff is not improvised. So it's all very scripted and it's a challenge to, you know, to, to make it. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun doing that. And I think... Maybe, you know, at a certain point early on in lockdown, we had a couple of really uh, quite a good little vein of tweets, which, you know, Rufus Jones and Sarah Parachute, who had joined in and been doing other stuff before, and Monica Dolan, and, we you know, we sort of just, just for our own amusement. And then there was a bit of an audio, you know, you got, it got tweeted and retweeted, that, oh, yes, there are people interested in this and enjoying it, you know, really having a nice, oh, when are you going to have another series? Oh, please do more of it, you know. But I think I think I think it was Hugh who's just so he leads he leads brilliantly. He's our <laughs> and he's uh, I think he you know spoke to John Morton, the producer, director, and writer, and said you know you know do you think you could write something in the spirit of you know what lots of people have been doing, doing material for charity and mm. who provide entertainment you know for the masses, from orchestras to dance troops to all sorts you know have been trying to you know keep uh, audiences entertained and it was in that spirit and it was then you know for the nhs of course uh, and he wrote, and that's how it came about and he wrote it and then i mean i just did it just over there we made it one afternoon and then we cut yeah. it put it together and there you go 
And like so many things in W1A, fiction becomes fact so quickly, so quickly that Eurosport, I think shortly after the Minnesota came out, announced they would be showing the full London 2012 Olympics in oh, full. Hilarious. That, well, you know, that's typical of the show. I mean, and it shows how much John Morton has got his finger on the pulse. I mean, it's, he didn't know that Eurosport were going to do that. He used his imagination to create this idea. And there you go. You know, literally three days later, looking at the schedule, Eurosport <laughs> rather wonderfully, actually, if, you, uh, if you're a sports nut as I am, it was uh, rather rewarding. I watched some gymnastics and uh, a bit of athletics, you know, uh, and I, I went, you know, I went, I went to see some cycling and fencing. I got some canoeing I, I went to see uh, in 2012. But yeah, it was that amazing that... Um, <laughs> managed to uh, it's hilarious I can believe it when I saw it <laughs> and do you think there will be any more W1A lockdown Zoom calls because obviously the appetite is so big for that now I, I, don't, I don't know I hope so it'd be great to do one or two and it'd be great to have some of the other characters in as well I mean the reason that we didn't have Siobhan Sharp and uh, you know Rufus you couldn't get us all in this it wouldn't have worked it would be impossible to actually have done to create yeah. anything vaguely amusing with 20 people sort of trying to get their oar in. But uh, I think it would be nice, wouldn't it, if we touched base with all the other guys. I don't know is, is actually, I think we want, we, we would like that. But again, it's all up to John really and whether he wants to uh, do that. You know, he's got lots of other projects and, you know, it, it's great, a little treat to have a bit more. And what this has shown is that the appetite for W1A is absolutely massive such a well-loved show and i didn't realize it was actually three years since the last one do you think we will see a new series at some point after this all ends um, i it'd be nice to think there would wouldn't it? it'd be really good i mean wouldn't that be great uh yeah it is very very loved and i think at the time when we made it i think there was a concern that it was just a bit in in all the jokes were a bit in and it was all about the bbc but what's happened i think is that every work situation corporation has these people and has this sort of weird management thing going on and and the language is just uh, is not specific to television it does spread across into other areas and apart from them being wonderful characters you know that backdrop is a familiar one to many people and they love the satire that that it <laughs> it, it, it creates uh, it would be great to do to do more of them but uh, I, I don't know i think john john's looking at other fish to fry i think but let's mm. hope so and you are appearing in icv drama des later this year what can you tell us about that show and your role in it well this is uh this is a really uh, very great project and uh, again luckily working with david david tennant again where he, he plays dennis nielsen who is the worst serial killer in british criminal history who in the late 70s and early 80s um murdered at least 15 young men in uh, London, not uh, and who worked not far from where I live now, and he uh, went on the on the rampage really over some months, and I won't tell you too much of the details, but it's pretty horrific what he got up to, and he was eventually caught in 1983 and went to trial and was in prison thereafter for the murder of I think six. He was uh, actually. Uh, although mm. there were obviously other uns unsolved and unexplored cases. But our drama follows the um, arrest and the trial of Dennis Nielsen. And from the viewpoint of 
three characters really. Danny Mays is having a bit of a purple patch. Well, I mean, he's, he's permanently yeah. in a purple patch, uh, <laughs> you know, with white lines and yeah. four, and you know, and people will be very familiar with his with his brilliant work. He plays uh, Detective Inspector J, who is the uh, you know is the Detective Chief Inspector who leads the investigation against Nielsen. It's from his point of view, from obviously Dennis Nielsen's point of view, from the character that I play, who is, uh, um, and on really which the drama is perhaps based to some degree, is my character's book, Killing for Company, which is a classic, it is one of the definitive crime books. And he was fortunate enough to interview Dennis Nielsen in parallel almost as the police interviews were going on. He asked to, as a biographer, he asked to get access to talk to him. So um, it, which he did, it was a rubber stand at the Home Office. So he was able to get the whole of Dennis Nielsen's life story verbatim from the horse's mouth. Mm. For better or worse, the details of the crimes, which are, are horrific and very hard to... to um, I've been doing the audio book as well. This is the audio book I've been working on. Reading, yeah. I mean, I've had a... You know, it's, it's been very challenging. But the drama, the ITV drama, is follows that... Uh, rather grisly story, but it, it's not about the sensationalism of the crimes. It's about how can somebody do these things? How do they get to the point where these crimes are committed? And I think there's this huge upsurge in true crime at the moment. Uh, and I hope, and I will, I've seen it, I know that the art piece is a, is a rather, apart from some amazing performances, from you know Dan, Dan and, and from David, you know it is it explores the subject in a in a in a uh, compelling and and very thorough way, and uh, it's brilliant television. So yeah, that's coming out later on in the year. Jason, the topic I want to finish up on is is a little bit hard, but I think it's a really important subject and it's something we've not touched on on the podcast before. You're a patron for Child Bereavement UK. This will have been a time when so many people in particular have lost parents. Can you talk a little bit about what the charity does and what support is available through it? Well, I got involved in the in the charity um, after the loss of our daughter, Maud, in 2011. So I think it was probably a couple of years after that, actually. And um, so I've been a patron uh, of the charity and as an ambassador talking about its work and so on. Um, and I have been touching base with them, particularly in the last uh, few weeks, in one respect, trying to raise money because, you know, charities are having a terrible time in that all the events that have been organised over these last, particularly these uh, rather fruitful spring months have now not happened, you know. Um, uh, so that that has been, you know, including the, the London Marathon. So it's been a, a huge uh, challenge. So, but the, what the uh, charity offers in normal circumstances, if I can use that term, is that it, it allows, uh, gives people a place to go to to talk about their loss. And it's not just about... Um, the loss of uh, one's child if you're a parent but also bereavement within families and they offer support groups and if you just contact uh, childbereavement.org that is a kind of hub for all sorts of information and all sorts of support groups and phone lines and 
the support is being offered over Zoom for people who've lost uh, relatives. And clearly, we are in an abnormal time now. And so the criteria has shifted in that, you know, uh, they are providing Zoom service and a way of uh, uh, of people being able to talk about their loss. And even if it's just an, an ear who understands is, is, is one thing in itself, but to be able to offer, you know, advice and support and ways of comprehending what has happened uh, to one's family in these last few weeks is invaluable for helping people come to terms with the loss of, and often clearly unexpected loss of, what will probably be a senior member of one's family. Um, you know, that uh, many people have been cheated of the last few wonderful years with their grandchildren. And so it's hard for, it's very hard for um, for people to come to terms with that. And um, it's also, having talked to them, uh, it's hard for children who've already lost a parent. That apparently is very acute because a child having had the confusion and uh, loss of one parent, the possibility amongst this terrible pandemic of losing another parent, their other parent is very difficult and acute. So that is something that uh, parents should reach out to if they feel that that is, a, is, is, a, is, is something that's happening with them. And also I think the key thing key message is that it's a long-term process this the pandemic is going to end it will do whether it will pop up again whether we'll have to live a slightly different life who knows but it will ostensibly go but the loss of one's family member will not it'll be part of one's life so the ongoing aspect of support is so important so you know Many charities are trying to get money and recoup for the uh, money that's been lost and the support they've not been able to offer because they haven't. Money is not just a thing in itself. It gives it gives uh, charities the substance to do the work that it needs. And so, but with the Child Breathing UK, there is this ongoing thing which is going to go on for years and years where families will look back on 2020 and go, gosh, that's where we lost our Uncle Joe or our, you know, and, and so... The, the the charity is rather brilliant in offering that kind of help. So I would urge anyone who has within lost someone within their family or knows of somebody, of course we all do, of somebody who's died, that to contract that that particular charity is, is is excellent. And as I said, you know, Child Bereavement UK is the you know just just access that and it will open up a, a window of uh, of things to be able to uh, talk about. Having having lost my own mum a few years back through cancer, I think as a nation we do need to talk about grief and loss more. Even though I probably knew two years prior to it that my mum would die, I, was, I still felt very ill-equipped to deal with that. How do we begin to have these conversations? I'm really sorry about to hear that, Simon. You know, I think yeah, it's a it's a shock, isn't it? Even when you know that it's coming, I mean, there. Are, you know, we we talk to people. Well, Clara now, actually, as we are talking, is is conducting a meeting with Slow, which is surviving the loss of our world, which is a small charity that works in in our local area. Which is talking to parents who who can tune in once a week and have a Zoom meeting and compare and talk about their experiences of the loss of their children. And that's a a brilliant way of helping parents through you know what is an ongoing uh, uh 
set of feelings. Um, and within that, yes, people who know that their child has had a long illness and is going to die, and in our case, it was sudden, you know, they are, there is no, you know, they're equally shocking and one is never quite prepared. So, you know, I, it's, I, I, I very much feel for you. And so, um, yeah, it's a, um, it, it, you know, that the, there are, uh, it's just a matter of dialogue, isn't it? Being able to, to talk about it and finding the space to talk about it, you know, it's been rather extraordinary, hasn't it, in the last few years? And you know, uh, Prince William is the royal patron of the Child in UK, and you know, he's mm. he's done these amazing initiatives around mental health, and he's worked kind of apolitically in that way. And I think perhaps that's something that the you know that he particularly understands that he has an ability to across all sorts of social strata and uh, political uh, persuasions to make these kind of uh, discussions happen and be alive you know, uh, combining a mental health in, fo in football and all that and how much football is spread across the whole of society um, and I think bereavement is is one of those things it's such a difficult subject to talk about you know uh, like mental illness you know it it, it, it carries mm. with it a huge amount of fear and uncertainty and how can I cope and and uh, as we all know you know you, you have to try and if you can face your fear and one way of doing that and f face the pain that you're you're not hide or lock it away is simply to hear about someone else's difficulties and how they've coped with it and so you what you're doing is that and this is what's great about talking is it about it it's not about listen it's not about you just telling your story and how difficult that may be that is one part of it, but in the groups that I've been part of and a few that I've helped conduct, is that listening to somebody else, particularly the recently bereaved, where you come and you just listen to somebody who's a couple of years down the line, talking and you're going, God, that's exactly how I feel. I felt like that. I felt, oh my God, mm. I'm not alone. Ah, oh, you know, I've, oh, I can get through this. I, I'm not going to, um, sorry, oh, fuck. Right. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to succumb to the overwhelming feelings that um, that, that happen most days, and of course, early on every day. So, dialogue, talking about it, is is the way to deal with it, not to, you know, and not to put it in a corner in a little box, which I think many people do, particularly of an older generation, they go, well, I can't deal with this. I'm, how can I explore this? It's impossible. If I just keep it in a corner over there, I'll get myself and my family through and everything will be fine. Now, some people make, make that choice. I, don't, I think that that's, um, that's fine because that's, you know, but I would always encourage people to talk about it, you know. And uh, grief is part of everyone's life and i just want to i just want to finish finally people will be asking um how they can support someone who is going through this at the moment how can we support our friends our family our our, our colleagues through this yeah, time it's always uh, difficult and i always feel that i'm still learning even though i've been through a terrible loss myself uh, i'm always great at offering so it's difficult 
you know, yeah. people used to turn up on the doorstep with, with soup and things like that. And you go, oh, great. I think just ringing up and saying that I'm thinking of you, that is, it's almost that's enough. Is there anything I can do? You can't fix it. It's not going to be fixed. You can't say the right thing. Some people sort of can instinctively. They know, and that's wonderful. But if you're not, you know, one of those people, uh, just to say that you're there, and if there's anything that I could, you know, I can do practically, is there anything I can do for you? Is is a, you know, just to say, you know, I'm very sorry for your, for your loss, and is there anything I can do? Uh, that's enough. Even saying that regularly, you know, just to say that you're there, that you're there, I would say is is the key is the key thing. Jason, thank thank you so much, and thank you so much for talking through that. I know talking about grief, my own experience, is is never an easy thing to do. So thank my you. My pleasure. No, no, it's good. It's always, it's always it's always worth it. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode. For a lot of people, I know that last section of the podcast would have been very very hard to listen to, and even for people who haven't gone through bereavements, hearing Jason talk like that, I'm sure will have touched a lot of people. I spoke to Jason before we recorded that section and afterwards as well, just to make sure he was happy both to talk about his experience and that he was comfortable with me leaving that section in. So as always, I'd like to thank Jason for agreeing to do this podcast, but for also agreeing to talk about a subject that is very difficult. I'll be adding links in this episode's bio for anyone seeking help. Thank you so much for listening today. We've had two record weeks on the bounce. Please continue to do what you're doing and spreading the word and subscribing. And if you feel like leaving a review, please do so. We love stars. Five is our favorite number. I must give a very quick shout out to Twist Tees, who ironically brought us a coffee at coffee.com. Thank you for supporting the podcast, guys. And if anyone out there would like to do the same, links are in the bio. I'll be back very, very soon. But in the meantime, and as much as you can, please stay indoors. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.